Good morning. Thanks for bringing the church into this building this morning. My name is Jamie, one of the pastors here, and I could not be more excited to to be uh, in this place with you this morning and to open up the scriptures together. Um, Thanks to uh, both Michael and Jason the last couple of weeks for coming in and and filling in, preaching. Um, It afforded me a couple of opportunities. Uh, One, to just uh, pursue some things uh, for my own soul's sake. Um, You can't lead people to a place you're not going yourself. And so the last couple of weeks have given me a little bit more extra space to focus on some leadership-related issues in my own life, um, but also to put together um, some visionary content that will help us as a church to, to move forward where we're going. And so um, in the last couple of weeks, I uh, put together a document, and I'll be rolling that out uh, in various uh, contexts over the course of the next few months for us. Uh, it's nothing new. It's just a, a concise way to unpack what we're trying to accomplish as a church, had an opportunity to, to pass that document off to other lead pastors within the Crosspoint family, um, and even uh, led a cohort of Georgia church planters a couple of weeks ago and got to pass that off to them, and it was very helpful to many of them. And so not only will our church be served well in the, in the days to come by the last two weeks, uh, me being able to breathe a little bit um, and step away from the pulpit, but other churches as well uh, within our network. So thanks to those guys for jumping in uh, to some difficult topics, namely emotions and family. Um, I promise I did not purposefully hand them the difficult ones. Um, you, you know me well enough at this point, those of you who have been around, to know that uh, I lick my chops for some of the difficult stuff sometimes in Scripture. Um, but I'm excited this morning. I feel like Ezekiel, there's that fire to, to now preach, to now jump back in after a couple of weeks off. And so uh, if you're new, we are um, midway through a series uh, on the book of Proverbs where uh, we're taking a look at the, the way of wisdom in contrast with the way of folly, that all of us are, are on a path uh, in some capacity uh, and the path is leading us somewhere. Um, I don't know what path you're on this morning, um, but none of us are living a stagnant life. We're all uh, moving in a direction. The question is not, uh, are you in motion? The question is, where is the path that you're on leading you? And so uh, we want to unpack that a little bit. God is kind in giving us wisdom literature in the scripture and specifically the book of Proverbs, because he knows we're becoming who we will be this very day. Our eyes deceive us. We need the wisdom of God. Oftentimes, we see the land of the living as appearing to be the land of the dead and vice versa. We see sin in technicolor. We see Christianity in grayscale oftentimes. And so we desperately need the wisdom of God. And here's the deal. I've been saying this for weeks now. Wisdom, uh, as it pertains to godliness, uh, is not offered to the scoffer. It's not offered to the unteachable. It's not offered to uh, the proud. It's not offered to the easily offended. It's not offered to the impossible to correct. It's offered to the humble. It's offered to the teachable. It's, It's offered to those who understand that they have not yet arrived. The wisdom of God is offered to those who have a healthy fear of the Lord. Going back to week one, I said we really need to see God the way Peter Uh, saw Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, where he says, I'm longing to see him, even if I do feel frightened when it comes to the point. I I love him. I've got to be close to him. I've got to be near to him. I've got to wrap my arms around his big, bushy mane, and yet the thought of coming close to him, drawing near to him, creates in me a deep reverence and humility because he's the king, and I'm not. It's in seeing Jesus for who he really is and savoring him. That's where the eyes to see come from. We desperately need the wisdom of God. 
in our lives. We've been talking about various topics like money, the tongue, emotions, family. Next week, we'll talk about humility. So I imagine the crowd will get smaller. You'll all sleep in next week. Uh, I would if I weren't preaching, probably. That's a joke. Um, but, but the reality is that, that you can't segment these things. You can't compartmentalize them as nicely and neatly as we would like to, can you? I mean, when, when you think about friendship, it's really hard to build friendships without having a conversation, which means that the tongue has to come to bear in those relationships. It's really hard to build friendships without spending a buck or two every once in a while, at least for a cup of coffee or, or the ingredients to host a dinner to invite those friends over. And so the way we steward our finances matter as it pertains to friendships and, and so forth and so on. We, we see that these things are all knit together to form a tapestry called the, the human life as we live it out. And we either live it under the banner of God's wisdom or under the folly of our own sinfulness. And so we want to talk about friendship, but I want you to keep in mind the complexity and the layers that come to bear in this conversation this morning as we, as we talk about this particular topic. If you have a Bible, you can open up to uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. That's where we'll be this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the seats in the row in front of you. You can grab one of those Bibles and open up to this morning's passage. If you don't own a Bible, take that. As the church's gift to you, we're happy that you're exploring the truth claims of Christianity on your own time, so please take that Bible for free. Let me read Proverbs 18.24, and we'll jump in and we'll get to work. It says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your kindness in revealing yourself to us through the very scriptures, your breathed out words to us for your glory, for our joy, for our good, for our hope in being restored to you. God, we thank you for the book of Proverbs, particularly and all the things that you're teaching us. Um, it's amazing to me that a book that we oftentimes look at as a bunch of pragmatic fortune cookie statements uh, that, that one might assume that we could just tag onto our lives and modify them uh, is not quite how this book has unfolded for us. I find myself walking away each week realizing that I'm deeply dependent upon you, God. Holy Spirit, that this is impossible without you. We need you. Holy Spirit, would you work in our lives this morning? Would you open our eyes to see things that are in technicolor that right now we're seeing in grayscale? Would you open our eyes to see those things that we should be seeing in grayscale that we can't help but see in technicolor? God, we need you. Would you help us to, to get a glimpse of Jesus for who he really is this morning? And I pray that that, that would compel us uh, to live the way you've intended us to live as it pertains to friendships for your glory and for our good. God, we love you. We lift these things up to you, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so this is strange, but what I want you to do is now bookmark Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. We're going to come back to that. We're not going to start there. That's our destination this morning. Um, so put a bookmark in your Bible, but in order to, to get to the, the beauty of Proverbs 18, 24, we actually have to go back to the beginning of friendship, um, which, which we find in the creation story. Uh, we don't oftentimes think in these terms, but friendship began within God. Now, notice what I didn't say there. I didn't say friendship began with God, but rather that friendship began within God. 
It's who he is ontologically in his very being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One of the most compelling passages for the Trinitarian relational God of the Bible is found in Matthew chapter 3, where we encounter the scene of Jesus' baptism. There we're told that when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Okay, there you get the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That's the father, the first person of the Trinity declaring his love for Jesus, the beloved son. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has always existed in perfect community, perfect friendship. God did not create human beings out of a sense of loneliness, out of a sense of need. Perfect love and friendship have always existed uh, in the community of Father, Son, and Spirit. And so the first thing that we need to understand this morning is that God is pro-relationships. He's relational in his very being. The heart of God is relational interconnectedness. God has created you and I for such a purpose, which is why we're told in Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us, notice the emphasis, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That we're designed to mirror God's invisible attributes to the world, reflecting his very being and nature to all of creation. Because God himself is a community, we're designed to mirror God as a community a community of both unified and diverse image bearers. Unified because there's one God, diverse because that one God exists in three distinct persons. And in fact, the creation story uh, tells us, if you go on to Genesis 2, verse 18, that the one thing God said wasn't good was that man should be alone. Then the Lord God said, Genesis 2, 18, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. We're, We're designed for relationships, It's why we long for communication. It's why there there are more than 1.2 billion Facebook users in the world. It's why there are more than 55,000 coffee shops in the U.S. That's a lot of coffee. I love coffee, but that's a lot of coffee. To a degree, we want to be known and, and we want to know others. Why, simply put? Because we're image bearers of a relational God. Now, if that were the end of the story... If the Bible just ended with Genesis 2, everything would be right and good in the world, would it not? There there would be no no lying. There would be no gossip. There would be no betrayal. There would be no jealousy. All things that damage relationships. But we're told in Genesis 3 that sin entered the picture. It's what we Christians call the fall of man. That Adam and Eve in the garden prior to their sin, they didn't experience those types of barriers to intimacy. There, There was no gossip. There was no betrayal. There was no slander. There was no shame. Yet in the wake of their sin, we're told that Adam and Eve covered themselves. It says this in Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The the fig leaves in Genesis 3 represent a number of things uh, metaphorically and we don't have time to go there this morning. Perhaps we will uh, when we come into the series uh, flowing out of Easter. We're going to engage in a series entitled The Story, where we're going to look at creation and the fall and redemption in Christ and restoration, what's to come as everything sad will be made untrue. We're going to take a look at this grand meta-narrative of of redemptive history um, as we come out of Easter, and we'll talk more about the fig leaves and what they represent there. But one thing for the purpose of this morning that 
those leaves represent is the barrier to intimacy that sin creates between image bearers of God. That uh, tragically, what happened in Genesis 3 is just the beginning of the story of fallen man. You and I, are, we're a part of that story. We, we continue to live out this story of human history. You and I, like our first parents, were designed to mirror God as relational people, and yet tragically, we now run from relationships, afraid to truly be known. Yes, there are more than 1.2 billion Facebook users who create a Photoshop version of themselves for the world to know. We don't truly wanna be known. We, we wanna edit our pictures before we post them. We wanna think through how we're gonna articulate our words before we hit that post button. We go to these 55,000 plus coffee shops and many of us sit there with our headphones in, afraid to engage the person at the table to our left or our right, but we convince ourselves that we're really a part of community because at least we're not doing it in our own study, in our own living room. At least we're with other people. We wanna be known, but only to a certain degree. We're afraid to take the risk of truly being known. And the people that we don't run from, those relationships, we bring our sin to bear on them. We do. We gossip. We slander. We betray people close to us. We experience jealousy as it pertains to people that we're in relationships with. We slander. We lie. It's a result of the fall. Let let me take us to some Proverbs that I think will help to make clear how difficult it is to Um, establish and maintain friendships in a fallen, broken world. Uh, Proverbs chapter 20, verse six says this, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. This verse drives that cheap talk absent of faithful commitment. We're we're skittish. We talk a big game when it comes to friendships, but if we're honest, we we really only let a few people in. We're, We're afraid because we don't see people around us as truly willing to faithfully commit to, to running at, at life with us, alongside of us. Proverbs 17, 9 says this, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. This verse, by its very wording, says that we're gonna offend people close to us, and we're going to be offended by those closest to us at times. And if we're honest, when, when we're on the receiving end of a relational offense, it's hard to just let it go, isn't it? It's, it's hard to just forgive. We can say all day, yes, Christ has forgiven me, so I shall forgive you. But living that out is really difficult to believe that way if we're honest, is it not? We, we struggle relationally to cover offenses with love. We hold on to things um, uh, against those that we profess to love the most. And according to this proverb, in doing so, we create separation. We create wedges between us and others. Proverbs eighteen nineteen. I love the poetic nature of of what this proverb says. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. What this verse is saying is that quarreling leads us to go into retreat mode, into protection mode. We retreat to the safety of our own proverbial castle. We shut the door. We bar ourselves off from others, and little do we realize that in doing so, we seclude ourselves in a relational dungeon of our own loneliness. And some of us, if we're honest, we know exactly what we're doing. We just prefer loneliness to the the risk of knowing and being known. The the point is that establishing and maintaining friendships is not remotely easy. It's just not. Not in the broken world that we live in. It's not easy because friendship involves two sinners. Many of you have heard of that book by Dave Harvey on marriage, When Sinners Say I Do. 
The same is true of friendship, is it not? It's two sinners saying, let's make a run at life together. And it's just messy. When two sinners come together in any capacity, it's messy. It's double the sin. So how do we do it? How do we experience friendship the way God intended? I think we can experience friendship apart from the gospel. That is possible. You can be friends with someone who doesn't believe, know, and love Jesus. But I don't think you're going to experience it the way God intended it to be. I think we deeply need the gospel to inform our friendships if we're going to live in light of the way God intended friendships to be. And so we have to move forward in the story past Genesis 3 to to friendship being redeemed by the power of the gospel. So now, come back to Proverbs 18.24. Open your Bible back up. Find your bookmark. Let's read that verse again. It says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let me unpack two critical, critical truths that the gospel makes clear regarding friendship. Number one, Jesus is the only friend who will never let you down. Let me say that again. Jesus is the only friend who will never let you down. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who fits the bill for for that particular phrase more than Jesus? John 15, 13, many of you know this verse. It says this, And this is Jesus speaking. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If you don't get anything else I say this morning, get this. Friendship with Jesus means that you are loved with the greatest love of all loves. Let me say that again. Friendship with Jesus means that you are loved with the greatest love of all loves. There's no greater act of love, no greater act of friendship than laying down one's life for another. Now, I was a little shocked that Jason did not show a clip from Inside Out last week as he talked about emotions, but he opened the door for me to do so. So um, I want to show you a clip that I think conveys the idea of uh, sacrifice under the banner of friendship and what that actually looks like. Many of you have seen this clip before, but for those of you who haven't seen the movie, one shame on you, go see it this week. But the idea of this movie, one of the, one of the best animated films I've ever seen, it, it's, it's really deep and rich. It, it conveys the complexity of human emotions, the human psyche, the way that we hang on to certain memories and discard others. And we get a glimpse of that through, through the life and mind of a little girl by the name of Riley. And at the control center of her very being are these emotions personified by characters, uh, namely joy, sadness, anger, and disgust. And Riley experiences a shakeup in her life. She has to move across the country and find new friends, and it's devastating to her. Uh, This is one of the first big moments in her life where things get shaken up. And in the midst of the shakeup, the character portraying Joy gets removed from the control center. And, And much of the movie is Joy's adventure of trying to get back to the control center to save the day. And along the way, uh, Joy meets Riley's imaginary childhood friend, a character by the name of Bing Bong, a big fuzzy purple elephant looking creature. And back in Riley's younger days, she and her imaginary friend Bing Bong would play together and their big dream and goal was to fly to the moon together. And so she created a a rocket out of a uh, a wagon and broomsticks, and you know that was the thought: is I'm going to fly to the moon with my imaginary friend Bing Bong. And and so we pick up the the story as the clip begins. Uh, Joy and Bing Bong, Riley's imaginary friend, are at the bottom of a pit with all of the discarded memories 
uh, in Riley's life. And the question is, are, are they going to be able to get back on the path to get to the control center to save the day? And here's where we pick up the clip. Joy was stuck down here. We might as well be on another planet. Another planet? Who's your friend who likes to play? Who's your friend who likes to play? His rocket makes you yell, hooray! Who's the best in every way and wants to sing the song to say? Who's your friend who likes to play? Bing bong, bing bong, this rocket makes you yell, hooray! One more time. I got a feeling about this one. Probably should have had the ushers hand out tissues this morning. Um, there's a reason that scenes like that move us. If, if only we could open our eyes a little bit wider when we engage culture around us, we would see the traces of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, all the things that we're going to talk about in that series coming out of Easter. We're, we're moved by a scene like that because we see sacrificial love on display. It's the beauty of the gospel, that, that Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could never live, 
He died the death that we deserve to die. Our sins were put upon Jesus and he was punished in our place. Yes, that is a moving scene, but it doesn't come close to unpacking the truth of what Jesus endured on our behalf. He was separated from his father as the wrath of the father was poured out on Jesus in our place for our sins. That's the beauty of the gospel, that you are loved with the greatest love of all loves. We could just stop there and bask in that for the rest of this morning and be just fine. I think sometimes we become so callous to the truth of the gospel, we're, we're prone to wander, we're prone to forget that we're loved with the greatest love of all loves in all of human history, but we are. The gospel tells us so. Jesus loves me, this I know. The Bible says so. But alongside of that, there's another piece of of Jesus and his being that we need to address that I think is critical, and it's this, that friendship with Jesus cannot be separated from his lordship. That without Jesus' guidance and and kingship, we would function as enemies of our own joy. He commands and empowers our obedience for his glory and our good. Again, it comes back to that, that image in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe of seeing Jesus as as king, seeing him as he truly is. I'm longing to see him, said Peter, even if, even if I do feel frightened when it comes to the point, because he's the king and I'm not, and it creates a deep reverence and humility in me at the thought of coming close to him. That friendship with Jesus means that he's both savior and Lord. You cannot separate the savior from the king. He's both. Let me ask you this morning, because we all have a a propensity to sacrifice one on the altar of the other. Do do you see Jesus loving you so much that he would die for you, but fail to see him on the throne of your life as your king? That will lead to an abuse of God's grace. Or, are you like me? Do you see him on the throne ruling and reigning over all of creation, including your life, but fail to see him loving you with the greatest of all loves? You just go through seasons where you wonder, does God really love me? Can he really love me that much? Where do you see your propensity to wander? He loves you so much that he would die for you, yet he sits enthroned, ruling and reigning over all of creation and all of your life. He is both the Lion of Judah and the Lamb who was slain. Welcome to the diverse excellencies of our friendship with Jesus. Jesus is the only friend who will never let us down. We can chase after a thousand other things to fill the emptiness, to give us meaning and significance, and in the end, they will all fall short. We can chase after a thousand relationships, a thousand people to fill the emptiness, to give us meaning, to give us significance. We can put them on pedestals, and in the end, every one of them will let us down in the end. Jesus is the only friend who will never fail you. Not only will he never betray you, he was betrayed on your behalf. Jesus knows what it's like to have his closest friends abandon him in his moment of greatest need. Not only will Jesus never slander you, he was slandered for your sake. He was accused of being demon-possessed. He was called a crazy man by his own flesh and blood. He knows what it's like to be unfairly criticized. And we could go on and on and on. Jesus got the raw end of the deal. He knows what you're going through as it pertains to friendships gone wrong. He gets it. And he promises to be the one friend who will never let you down. But we can't stop there. Because there's another piece to this. Not only is Jesus the only friend who will never let you down, 
Secondly, Jesus never intended that our friendship with him should replace friendship with fellow image bearers. Let me say that again. Jesus never intended that our friendship with him should replace friendship with fellow image bearers. That Jesus is the only friend who will never let you down doesn't imply isolationist Christianity. Let me take you to 2 Timothy 4 to explain this. This is Paul speaking, 2 Timothy 4, verses 16 and 17. Paul says this. He says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. You hear what Paul's saying there? Everyone let me down, but not Jesus. Jesus is the only friend who will never fail me. But notice the two bookends. If you flip to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and actually read that chapter of the Bible, there are two bookends surrounding those verses. In 2 Timothy 4, 9, Paul says this to young Timothy. He says, do your best to come to me soon. Get here quickly, Timothy. And on the back end of that statement about Jesus never letting him down, in verse 21, he says, do your best to come before winter. Not just soon. Get here uh, before this particular season on the calendar year is over. I need to see you soon. I need to be close to you. You're my friend. I deeply need you in my life right now. That Jesus' strengthening of Paul, you might say, doesn't nullify Paul's longing for Timothy. It informs it. It enriches it. It deepens it. Paul talks like this all the time in the New Testament. He says in Romans, I long to see you. I have longed for many years to come to you. To the Philippians, he says, I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. To the Thessalonians, he says, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. And again, he says to the Thessalonians, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. John Piper says it this way. He says, Christ didn't die to create, create isolated worshipers. He died to create Christ-exalting friendships. That is, he died to create the church that Jesus intends for your friendship with him to be the heartbeat of your friendship with everyone around you. And according to John 1, we're told Jesus came full of both grace and truth, two things that deeply need to saturate our friendships, that the beauty of Christ-exalting friendships is that they contain both, both grace and truth. Well, let me come back to some of those barriers to friendship for, for just a moment, those barriers that sin creates. I'm gonna put a graphic up on the screen and Hopefully this is helpful to you. Um, we, we talked when we looked at the, the week on the, the tongue in Luke chapter 6. Jesus says that from the overflow of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the, the mouth speaks. That uh, tongue issues are heart issues, Jesus says. And the same is true about any of these topics we're talking about. Money problems are heart problems. Humility problems are heart problems. Um, parenting problems are heart problems. And, and this week, as we look at friendship, friendship problems are heart problems underneath the dirt. Uh, above the dirt, it manifests itself in lies, in gossip, in, in slander, in using harsh words, in betrayal, in, in acting jealous of one another. 
But, but the reality is these are all things that are rooted in a failure to believe the gospel under the dirt at a heart level. I mean, a- ask yourself, as you look above the dirt at that graphic, why do I lie to others? How would you answer that question? And, and there are a number of things that might drive that. For many, we lie because we want to be perceived a certain way, which is a failure to believe the gospel. Because the cross of Christ frees us to be honest with others, knowing that uh, Jesus, uh, his blood has covered every one of our imperfections. Ask yourself, why am I jealous of others? How would you answer that question? Again, a number of things might drive your answer. For many, we get jealous because we think uh, we need to have what others have in order to be validated whether it's the home that they have, the car that they drive, the the friends that they're surrounded by, which again is a failure to believe the gospel because the cross of Christ frees us from a spirit of jealousy because we know that we have all the validation that we need in the Father's declaration over us. You are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. That's what the gospel declares over you. That's how God feels about you. Ask yourself, why do I gossip? Again, a number of things may drive your answer to that question. For many, we gossip to make ourselves feel more significant. Our value is found in devaluing other people around us, which is a failure to believe the gospel. The cross of Christ tells us that we don't have to gossip. We don't have to slander to find value. We are loved with the greatest love of all loves in the universe, In the cross of Jesus Christ, the God of the universe says to you, I want to be your friend. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. Believing the gospel unlocks the door to one of the greatest gifts that we've been given in its truest form, namely friendship. Believing the gospel is what affords us the opportunity to walk full of both grace and truth, and we deeply need both. We deeply, deeply need both. We need to be surrounded by people who will see our failures and still love us the way Jesus didn't stop loving Peter when he denied him three times, the way Jesus doesn't stop loving you when you deny him often. Grace-saturated friendships put the gospel on display, and they're informed by the grace of God poured out on us through the cross of Jesus Christ, which allows us to then extend grace to others around us. Total forgiveness Total acceptance. But Jesus also came full of truth. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That we're meant to sharpen one another, to refine one another. Proverbs 27, 6 says it this way, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. That we need friends who, along with loving us in the midst of our failures, will help to refine us. Those who know that we're being conformed to the image of Jesus, and part of that process is having people around us who will help us to see our sin and unbelief, to help us to see what's under the dirt of our lives at a heart level. People who know us, they're called blind spots for a reason. We need community around us. We need gospel-informed friendships We need people around us who will not only help us to unearth the anti-gospels in in our lives, but will help us to preach the gospel to ourselves when those anti-gospels rear their ugly heads. People who know us, who know our hearts, who know how deep the rabbit hole of depravity actually goes in our lives. We need people who will preach the gospel to us when, when we're so weak that we can't do it 
ourselves. When we're despairing and struggling to believe, when we don't have the capacity to see the truth in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of everything not being as it should be in the world. And other people need that from us. It's not a one-sided thing. Other people need uh, us to bring grace and truth to bear in their lives. I know I need that. I need my community group. I need the friendships that God has given me for his glory and my good. Grace-saturated, truth-embodied friendships are a gift from God. Do you believe that? And here's the truth. The opportunity for those kind of friendships surrounds you as you speak right now. I love the way C.S. Lewis says it in his work, The Four Loves. If you've never read that, you should. It'll hurt your head, but it's awesome. He says this. Friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what, you too? I thought that no one but myself, dot, dot, dot. I mean, think about all the friendships that you have right now, some of the, the most deeply rooted friendships in your life. How did they begin? It began with a conversation that probably went something like that, didn't they? Which means that we're all on the cusp of the next one of those friendships at any given moment if we're willing to take the risk Don't settle, please, don't settle for an it's just me and Jesus kind of Christianity. When you do that, you function as the greatest enemy of your own joy. What what a beautiful, tangible expression of the gospel. Pointing one another to truth. Extending grace to one another. Making sacrifices for the good of the other. Which leads me to my last point. In discussing a topic like friendship, you might be inclined to turn everything inward, and the church does that oftentimes to its own detriment and the very mission that we've been called to, functioning as a holy huddle for ourselves. It, it, it amazes me in discussing a topic like friendship that Jesus doesn't afford us the opportunity to forget about those outside the church. Remember, Jesus was accused of being a friend of what? Sinners, right, which is, which is the very reason that you and I are part of the family of God in the first place, right? It's not, like, um, it's not like Jesus looked at you, determined he was impressed with what he saw, and invited you to sit at his lunch table. That's not how you became friends with Jesus. That's not how I became friends with Jesus. Here's how we became friends with Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still wallowing in the pit of sin and despair and ugliness and depravity, it was in that moment, in that form of our identity, that Christ gave up his life and loved us with the greatest love of all loves. And as friends of Jesus, we now get the privilege of befriending people in the midst of their sin and unbelief, in the midst of their hostility toward the gospel, in the midst of their hostility toward the church. It's about friendships within the family of God and friendships outside the family of God. Both are significant. Both play a critical role in our being conformed into the image of Jesus and seeing Jesus build his church. And so I'll leave you with a question this morning. What if? What if? What if we actually, truly allow the gospel to shape the relationships that we have with both Christians and non-Christians? 
What, what might that look like? We're going to take communion in a moment. If you're a Christian, this meal is for you. We do so here by taking the bread and dipping it in the cup, the bread representing the broken body of Jesus, the cup representing his shed blood. And as you prepare to, to come partake of communion, I, I would encourage you to simply sit with, with the truth, with that statement that I am loved with the greatest love of all loves in human history. And, and sit with that long enough to allow it to penetrate your heart. Because I think we hear that, and, and we just begin to discard it. it. It becomes mundane to us. But the truth is there's nothing mundane about being loved, being the recipient of the greatest love in all of human history. That's unbelievable. If we really believe that, that informs everything coming out of that, that, that we live out horizontally as it pertains to relationships around us. So sit with that truth. Do I really believe that, that I'm loved with the greatest love of all loves. I'm loved by the king of the universe who sits enthroned, ruling and reigning over my life, and yet he welcomes me in to the greatest of intimacies with him. And if you're not a Christian, I would implore you to turn to Jesus. He loves you too with the greatest love of all loves. Turn to him. Put your faith in his life, death, and resurrection and become a part of the family of God. I want everyone on, on planet Earth to experience the love of God. And it starts here. It starts here and it bleeds out. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E ptc.com.